May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. This week, I have with me my partner, Laurent Drogan. And now, Laurent is a founder of the firm we both work at, Tartar Krinsky and Drogan, and he's head of the Labor and Employment Group. But more importantly to me, Laurent is my former law school classmate, beginning, I think, 32 years ago in 1987. Laurent, welcome. Thank you. I will always be your former law school classmate. That's true. And it's good to see you. It's good to still be seeing you after all these years. As you know, I have brought you here today, after many, many years and knowing each other in different contexts, to ask you this critical legal question. Is a 6 to 25-foot inflatable rat intimidating? I guess it depends who you are and how tall you are. Well, among other things. The rat we're going to talk about in this episode is none other than Scabby the Union Rat. And I think if you live in New York City or in many big cities around the country, you're familiar with this site. You will see it on curbside, a sort of giant inflatable rat that has become a mainstay of construction union protests in New York City, but also in many other places. There are companies who make these rats. They vary in size and appearance. I've heard anything from 6 feet to 25 feet or even bigger. Right. I mean, specifically, they're designed to look ugly. They've got nasty-looking faces with big teeth blemishes all over them. Sometimes there's patches on them where I guess either knives or bullet holes have been introduced to their skin. But uh, look, they're not designed to be pretty. They're designed to send a message. Right. Uh, And the appearance and the dress is designed that way. And then they're not always rats, right? We've moved on to other animals. There's fat cat, the giant inflatable cat. There's some others out there. Is that right? Right. All sorts of inflatable toys that the unions have chosen to use. And I've seen different writings with different stories about when this all started and where, but most commonly I've read that the inflatable union rat has its origin probably around 1990 in the city of Chicago. Is that your understanding? That's my understanding. I've known it to be used in New York City since I started practicing in 1990. My original introduction to the rat was with the mason tenders or laborers union. It had been used a lot with in situations where there was asbestos removal. And then it's spread to the use in restaurants where it's obviously particularly offensive because it suggests that there's uncleanliness involved. And it's, as you've pointed out, it's been used by different unions at different places, not only at job sites, which I guess is really one of the the major issues that a lot of employers have with it, where this this rat shows up. Right. It shows up, it's, it's brought in by the union at a workplace where uh, the workplace is engaging non-union employees. Yeah, it can be. It's actually brought in, in in different places and for different reasons, but very often there is a dispute between the union and a particular contractor on a on a work site. That's correct. Did you know that uh, Scabby 
was the result of a Name the Rat contest held by IUOE Local 150 in Illinois in like the early 90s or late 80s or something? I didn't know that that was the actual genesis of the name, but obviously it, it sort of makes sense because the concept is of a scab as someone who will cross the picket line. So, and I guess that ties right back into, is this actually a display of a labor dispute or is it a First Amendment issue? The, the concept being that anybody who's going to walk past the rat is somehow a, a scab and going against the union and going against the union's agenda at that particular location. Right. And, and let's talk about that. That kind of gets to the real legal issue here, other than it's fun to talk about an inflatable rat. The issue is legitimacy of displaying that rat as part of your union protest. And I understand there were some proceedings in the NLRB back in 2011 that came out in favor of the rat, uh, holding that it was not an unlawful activity. It's not a signal picket. It's symbolic speech. Can you help me understand that? What's the difference? What is a signal picket? What is symbolic speech in that context? Sure. Well, it starts really the root stems from the First Amendment. And for years and years, nobody had really wanted to touch the rat, I guess pun intended, either the National Labor Relations Board or the courts. National Labor Relations Board said, look, we don't even get involved in the, we don't look at the labor aspect of this because this is a First Amendment issue, period, end of story. And that was very frustrating actually for clients because the rat can show up in, in three places. One, it can show up at the site where the company with whom they have the dispute is actually working. Other times it can show up elsewhere, which is what we call secondary activity. Sometimes it actually shows up at somebody's home, like on a nice residential street on Long Island, because it's First Amendment, it's First Amendment issue. And as I said, the Labor Board had never really wanted to touch this. The courts didn't want to touch this. But that that has changed over the years because the way in which the rat has been used, and maybe you say it's been overused and somebody now is now looking at this from a different perspective. What they're really saying is, what is the message that you're trying to convey, and is it being used for a permissible purpose? And under the new board, which has now swung back to the really, I don't want to say anti-union, but certainly more employer-favorable perspective, people are looking at what is the message that's actually being sent. So signal picketing, to answer your question, is something where it's not necessarily a group of people walking around holding picket signs, sending a message, or even hand-billing by handing something out. It's displaying something that's conveying a message. And picketing is a particular, it's a term of art in labor law. You can't just picket whenever and wherever you want. So if something is picketing, it's viewed differently than if it's let's say, area standards hand-billing, where you're simply handing something out to someone on the street. So that's where the, the lines of differentiation are being drawn right now. But in large part, it's, it's perfectly legal to show up at a job site if you're a union and hold up picket signs and picket the fact that the job site is engaging non-union employees. Actually, actually it, it isn't necessarily correct because the union really doesn't have, it depends who the union has a dispute with. So if what they're trying to do is organize a particular employer on a job site, that would be called organizational picketing, right? Whereas if what they're really trying to do is send a message that, hey, this contractor isn't 
paying the union standard wages, that you're paying below the area standards, then you're more in a First Amendment issue. And the question is, this is exactly what you said, hey, is this really organizational picketing? Are, are you displaying the rat because you're trying to pressure the contractor to sign a union contract? Or are you displaying the rat to really just let people know, hey, this contract, this contractor isn't paying a fair wage, in our opinion, which is to say they're not paying a union wage, which is to say if they'd sign a contract, problem solved. And that's, that's really the differentiator here. What is the purpose and meaning of the rat? Okay. We'll get into that in a second. I guess over the years, in addition to some people trying to go to the NLRB or to the courts, there have been efforts at self-help. There have been incidents of people stabbing the inflatable rat or otherwise trying to deflate it. And those kind of acts of plastic violence have not gone well for the attackers, I think. Right, they haven't. And in the past, it used to be that the uh, you'd let the police know that the uh, the union would let the police know that there was going to be the rat on display. And for a day or two, the police wouldn't do anything. Now it's, they seem to be more tolerant of it. Honestly, in my experience, the best thing you can do is tell a client to ignore the rat. That doesn't always work, but it's frustrating because if you did file a charge with the National Labor Relations Board, it usually didn't get anywhere. Now there's a little bit more traction there. Sometimes what we've done, a couple of years ago, we had a situation where the rat was, the union had a dispute with a particular contractor and they set up a rat at a residential building that happened to be a brand new construction green building that had nothing to do with that contractor. They just happened to put it up there. Obviously, it had no purpose other than, let's say, First Amendment, but there was nothing you could really do about it. So what we did was, or at least on my advice, the client actually had pictures of cats and posters of cats put up in the, the windows of the uh, the residential building to sort of send the message that if you're the rat, we've got the cat. Right. I guess if you have a 25-foot inflatable rat, someone could bring in a 50-foot inflatable cat and try to chase it away or something like that. Something like that. In recent years, in the past couple of years, the course has kind of changed at the NLRB, right? And this is not a political podcast, and we don't get into making political judgments, but the leadership of the NLRB has changed under the current administration. Is that correct? Yes, that's very correct. And the current GC, Peter Robb, he has a a management background and is more likely— I think this is fair to say, to be favorable to the management argument in these kind of disputes. Yes, that's certainly true. But the entire composition of the National Labor Relations Board itself has changed, whereas in past administration, you had the Republicans were dissenting on every decision, and now you've got the Democrat dissenting on every decision, and uh, case law is being overruled vir- virtually weekly. There's been efforts in some lower courts with motion practice and memos to counter the rat in recent years. Do you see a bigger attack coming? I don't know that I call it a bigger attack. I see it as a more fundamental attack at the roots, if rats have roots, really from the National Labor Relations Board asking a very simple question. That is, what is is the message that's being sent? What is the purpose here? Is it really free speech or are you really signaling something else? And if so, what are you signaling and to whom? So 
you're looking at who the target is and what agenda the union has with that target. Is the target a particular contractor on a site? Is the target a building owner that is a complete stranger to the union? And then is the message that's being conveyed really fair speech or is it being exaggerated? Is it being inaccurately depicted by the message that the rat is trying to send? Because historically, as we said earlier, the rat signifies, Scabby the rat signifies that there's a union labor dispute going on. Isn't, isn't the message in the eye of the beholder? Couldn't one person look at the rat and say, this is a sort of comical, good-natured attempt to tell us that there's an owner here or, or an employer not paying fair wages, whereas another person could look at the same rat and say, that is a terrifying monster animal that is there to intimidate us. Sure, and that's exactly the problem. I don't, I don't know that the audience, that is, the, the people passing by, really understand the distinction, and, and that in part is the problem, that it is intimidating. It's designed to be intimidating. It's designed to send a message that there is a problem here, and because there are unions involved, the implication is that there's a union dispute when, in fact, there really may not be a dispute at all, and that's the point. If it's area standards that the union is complaining about, there isn't a dispute. You're simply alerting the public that you've got a contractor here well within its rights, is paying whatever whatever it, it can or it wants to, and its its employees may be completely happy. Right. So you're, you're, the message that's being delivered isn't the right message because the problem isn't with necessarily the employer who who is behind where the rat is standing. It's with some greater issue. Right, and it's also misleading because if you've got a rat in front of an office building, as ex- an example in New York City, who is the dispute with? It's, it's really not very clear. Is it with a union, uh, I'm sorry, is it with a non-union contractor that's doing work in the building? Is it with a tenant in the building? Is it with the building owner? It's, it's never really clear. Very often there'll be hand billing going on around the rat, not all the time, and the hand bill will try to make clear who the dispute is actually with, and then in very, very small print, they'll try to clarify what the actual issue is. I look at the rat more, especially in New York City, rather than being an intimidator or sending a particular message, I look at the rat as trying to generate attention, trying to draw, because we live in a very busy city. We've become immune to ordinary rats on the street or on the subway and and any other manner of things we see in a day. And to me, the idea of a 25-foot rat on a street corner is just to get us to look at it and look at what's going on around it. Do you, do you think that's fair? I do, with the exception that looking at the rat, it's sending a different kind of message. It's the, the physical appearance draws your attention and suggests that something bad is happening. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not cartoonish. It's ogreish. Right, it, right. It's not, it's not a Warner Brothers-style comedy rat that we just look at because it's big, it's ugly, it's deformed. It is, it is in fact scabby, which is not only a name but sometimes an adjective for these things. Right, 
and put it in front of a restaurant and you don't the message is very clear. There's a question is of sanitation. Is this a good, healthy, clean place to eat? People are going to draw the conclusion without reading a handbill that there's some sort of cleanliness issue here with this restaurant. And so at present, just to finish this off by getting the current context, there is some added scrutiny and attention at the NLRB and sometimes questions raised in the unions themselves about whether this is a proper messenger. Is that fair to say? That's right. But we're still seeing the rats. I mean, there there was a report last month of IBEW Local 134 with a whole menagerie of inflatable rats and other critters protesting a urban space food hall that was being built without union workers. And we still see them all around in various big cities. Right. And and look, the unions, to their credit, for a long time, they have succeeded with the rat under a First Amendment analysis. If that's now being retreated from, they're going to continue to use the rat wherever they can and test the limits. So the limits may be redefined, but they're going to be redefined on terms that the unions can help set. Let's put it that way. Okay, that's great. I didn't prepare you for this, Uh but tell us just a second about your labor and employment department at Tartar Krinsky. So depending on the particular matter, we have nine people who work within the group, and obviously we represent management and traditional labor matters like the ones that we're talking about. We also have an employment law practice representing employers in traditional employment matters, everything from hiring to firing, as well as wage and hour compliance and defense of those lawsuits, and a, as you well know, restrictive covenant subgroup where we work with companies to hire people, navigate through issues with employment agreements and covenants that would otherwise stop them from working somewhere. Did you imagine 30 years ago that we would be sitting here one day in a recording studio uh, putting a podcast together? Absolutely. It was a trick question, you know. There were no podcasts back then. There were just beanie babies and wine coolers and whatever else there were 30 years ago. I'm from the future. I saw it all. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks you for seeing it with us today. Thanks very much, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at tartarkrinsky.com. You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. Mm-hmm.